Scripture reading today is from Galatians, chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Paul, an apostle, sent not for men nor by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers with me, to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than the one you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God, or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Galatas 1, 1 al 10. Pablo, apóstol, no por investidura ni meditación humana, sino por Jesucristo y por Dios Padre, que lo levantó entre los muertos y todos los hermanos que están conmigo, a la iglesia de Gal Galacia. Que Dios nuestro Padre y al Señor Jesucristo les conceda gracia y paz. Jesucristo dio su vida por nuestros pecados para rescatarnos de este mundo malvado. Según la voluntad de nuestro Dios Padre, a quien sea la gloria por los siglos de los siglos. Amén. Me asombra que tan pronto estén dejando ustedes a quien los llamó por la gracia de Cristo para pasarse a otro evangelio. No es que haya otro evangelio, sino que ciertos individuos están sembrando confusión entre ustedes y quieren, y quieren tergiversar el evangelio de Jesucristo. Pero si a uno, si alguno de nosotros o un ángel del cielo les predicara un evangelio distinto el que les hemos, del que les hemos predicado, que caiga bajo maldición. Como ya lo hemos dicho, ahora le repito, lo repito, si alguien les anda predicando un evangelio distinto del que recibieron, que caiga bajo maldición. ¿Qué busco con esto? ¿Ganarme la aprobación humana o la de Dios? ¿Piensan que procuro agradar a los demás? Si yo buscara agradar a otros, no sería siervo de Cristo. Gracias por brothers. We are today uh, starting a new teaching series on the book of Galatians, uh, which is a, a fantastic book that helps us learn about the heart of the Christian faith, whether if you're brand new to the idea of following Jesus, just starting to explore things, or if you have been walking with him for many years, whatever your story and whatever your station in life, spiritually speaking, might be, This is a wonderful, wonderful book for all of us. So we're kicking that off today. Let's pray as we do that. Jesus, we thank you for being present here. If you're not here, we're just reading words, 
human words, dead words, but because you're alive and because you give us your spirit, uh, these words can be spiritual food for us and even spiritual life. We need more of you. We pray that we would get that feast, that meal of you in this brief time together. Open our hearts. God, whatever resistance we might have towards you today, please remove it. Give us willing hearts. Give us hungry hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A few days ago, I got on my phone a troubling phone call. And it was troubling not because the voice on the other end told me this is the doctor's office, the test results don't look good, or not troubling because uh, the voice said, I've got your wife and daughter, meet me at the diner at midnight tonight if you ever want to see them again. No, it was a troubling phone call because the lady's cheery recorded voice said to me, congratulations. You have just won two free round-trip tickets to the Bahamas. All you have to do is pick up the phone, dial the following number, and claim your prize. Have you ever gotten one of those calls? Maybe even recently. Some of you saying, no, but I wish I did. (laughs) Of course, immediately I'm thinking, could this be the real thing? I'm cynical enough to have had my doubts. Could it be a real prize? But of course, I couldn't help it. I wanted to believe it. I already immediately in those five seconds started picturing myself and Paula hanging out on a beach, you know, with flip-flops. And uh, I got to admit, Elena was nowhere in the picture at this time. In my mind, I love her to death, but you know, what can you do? I mean, for a split second, I wanted to believe it, but I knew it couldn't be true. I hung up. But those five seconds and that sort of inner turmoil of do I respond, do I not respond, do I believe, do I not believe, is it the real thing or is it not the real thing, I was reminded that there's a problem, that sometimes, you know, it's really hard to tell the difference between the real thing and a fake. Sometimes it's really hard to tell the difference between a real offer and a fraudulent one because too often they can look and sound just about the same. Sometimes that's not a big deal. I remember when I was younger, the very first pair of Nike Airs that I got. I was so excited to get these tennis shoes. They were the Andre Agassi line back when he was somebody, back when he had hair, right? Uh, it was pink uh, trim on the side. I bought them in Seoul, Korea during a trip out there, and they almost for sure were fakes. But I didn't care, and it didn't really matter. Sometimes it doesn't matter. But what if we're talking about a chemotherapy drug, Uh, something in the hospital that really is a matter of life and death for you, and you find out that you or maybe a loved one of yours has been slipped in with an alternate drug, a false drug, one that doesn't actually work, but it might look the same, it might even have the same label, well, then we're in trouble because it's a matter of life and death. But what if it's a matter of spiritual life and death? What if it's a difference between finding out the truth about reality, why we're here, where we're heading, how we relate to God, how we should live, 
In other words, what if it's a matter of salvation? Then doesn't it matter then whether or not we can tell the difference between the real thing and a knockoff? And this is why the letter to the Galatians was written in the Bible. Because even with the Christian vision of salvation, sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between the real thing and a knockoff because so often they can look and sound like the same thing. This is a letter. It was written by the Apostle Paul. We see his name mentioned in the very first verse that we had read. It's probably written about in A.D. 50. Only about 15 or so years after the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, just several years earlier, Paul had traveled in southern Asia Minor, which is the same region as modern-day Turkey, in the southern part of that area, which was called the province of Galatia. We find out in the book of Acts, which is sort of the early church's history book, in chapters 13 and 14, the way in which the first generations of Christians actually had their eyes opened up to the person of Jesus as Paul traveled through Galatia and told them the story of this same Jesus that changed his life, this Jesus who had died and risen Again, And we're told that the people there received the message with great joy in a life-changing sort of way, this message that he preached. And it's described to us here and in other places in the Bible, not as the philosophy of Jesus Christ, nor as the moral example of Jesus Christ, but Paul here calls it the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he delivered to the people. That's what they received. That's what changed their lives. That's what gave them a new beginning with God. What can give you a new beginning with God? Gospel. We see this word used throughout this letter. But what does that mean? And what did it sound like for the Apostle Paul to preach it to the Galatians originally And for them to receive it. Well, we get a little bit of a summary in verses 3 and 4 of this passage here. Where Paul says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who, what? Gave Himself for our sins. Why? To rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And so we can say that at least three things we see here about the nature of this thing that Paul preached, which he calls the gospel. And that is, first of all, the gospel is news and not moral instruction. The gospel is news, not a list of to do's. You notice here in the verses we just read, Jesus is doing everything. There's not a whole lot of, now this is what you need to do, and this is what you have to do, and this is how you please God, and this is how you earn the love of God. Jesus is the chief actor. His name is in the headlines, and his face is on the front page picture. You may or may not know that the word gospel originally in the Greek language means good news. 
It was a word that was used in the military context when people came home from a great victory, announcing that the enemy has been defeated, that victory is theirs. It's a word that was used when ancient kings would rise to their thrones. A new administration, good news, an announcement of something that happened and that therefore changes everything. You see, there's a difference between gospel good news and just moral teaching or instruction, and most people can't tell the difference. Can you? You see, news is a report about something that's already happened. Instruction is something that I have to make happen. In other words, salvation in the Christian vision is something that Jesus already has made happen, not something that you have to make happen, then bring up to God and offer to Him. News is something that's been done. Instruction is something that I need to do. Something that I need to offer. You see, if gospel is news then that means at the heart of the Christian faith is this. You get right with God and you stay right with God not by what you do, but by what Jesus has done for you. And that makes all the difference in the world. Gospel is news. Secondly, we see that gospel is grace. It's related. Gospel is grace rather than performance. We see this word grace used in verse 3. But Paul also says this, that Jesus saves us according to the will of God. According to God's initiative. He took the first step. He wasn't sitting back and waiting for you to make the first move. Waiting for you to come halfway and then he'll meet you halfway. That's the way a lot of us think God acts and operates. God helps those who help themselves. You can't find that anywhere in the Bible. And it's the furthest thing from this idea of gospel. Because gospel is grace, not performance. That God saves and God loves and God blesses and God shows favor. Not because we are searching and earning and deserving and achieving, but because Jesus is searching and earning, and deserving, and achieving. And dear friends, if we start to get that, don't you see, that's good news. To know that your life before God, and your eternity, and your personal fulfillment, and your sense of satisfaction, and all that you were created to be, your sense of glory and significance, and all of that is not dependent upon how you perform today or tomorrow and not ever. Not if you grab a hold of Jesus by faith and say, He stands in my place. Gospel is grace rather than performance. Thirdly, we see here that gospel is a rescue. Gospel is a rescue. We see this in that language there. Jesus Christ who gave Himself for our sins to Rescue us. See, in this vision, the gospel isn't just sort of like spiritual vitamins, supplements to give you a little bit more nutrition and just to help you along the way, but it's still basically up to you. 
The story of the Christian vision of life is that all of us are a sinking ship. That all of us are enslaved to our own self-centeredness and our sin. That all of us cannot save ourselves hard though we may try. We need a rescuer, not just a little bit of help. Not just a little bit of remediation. Not just a little bit of spirituality. But we need to be saved. I mean, even as we continue to see these images and we're reminded of this terrible tragedy in the Sandy Hook elementary shooting situation in Connecticut, you just see the way in which what was really needed in that moment was an immediate rescue, somebody to come in and save and help. What the kids and the teachers and the families did not need is for somebody to come in and to give them a little instruction manual on how to escape a gunman and to save themselves. In the same way, we see God coming in and saying, look, I'm not waiting around for you to figure it out. I'm going right in there. And here's the story. Jesus takes the bullet for you and me. I mean, we saw these intense and amazing and tear-jerking images and stories of teachers huddling in closets, cloaking themselves around vulnerable children, literally taking bullets in their backs, laying down their lives. And it's just such a, a wonderful glimpse and picture of what it means that Jesus gave himself up for our sins. And here's the difference now. We're not, we, before God, are not innocent victims. It is what we deserve in the justice of God. And yet God says, in my love and compassion, I give my son in your place. He takes the punishment that you deserve. He takes everything that you deserve under the justice of God. Because he lived the life you should have lived and he died the death that you should have died. As our substitute, giving himself on our behalf. And this is so hard, friends, to see the gospel as rescue because our normal inclination is to sit here and try to rescue ourselves, to save ourselves, to satisfy ourselves. For some of us, it's by trying to be really good. For others of us, it's trying to make good decisions. For others of us, we try to rescue ourselves by blowing off life or even trying to be really bad. Whatever your formula and whatever your approach, our normal bent is to self-salvation, self-rescue, rather than receiving The gift of God's rescue, which as you can tell and as you've heard before, rescue is for people that need a rescuing. Is that not obvious? It's for the weak, not for the strong. The gospel is good news, but it's good news to people that have the humility and the honesty to finally admit, I can't do it. I can't satisfy the justice of God. I can't ever be good enough. So do you hear? Are you confronted with your inability to change yourself? Well, Jesus is then good news for you. Are you feeling weak or morally exhausted today? 
This is good news then. The grace of God. Are you, dear friends, aware of your sin and your selfishness? Are you starting to come to terms with the fact that you really are screwed up on the inside? Well, then the grace of God, the gift of God in Jesus is good news to you. Because the gospel rushes forward to people that know that they need a rescue. Know that they need to come with open arms and empty hands and have nothing else to bring to God but their broken and weak selves. This is the one to whom God's grace rushes to. Is that you? Is that you? As it's been said, in order to take first steps towards this good news, all you need is need. And most people don't want that. And all you need is nothing. And most people don't got that. So we're always trying to insert ourselves or prove ourselves or achieve ourselves into the favor and the blessing of God. This is the good news that, uh, that Paul preached. This is the good news that the Galatian church embraced They started off with this story of salvation. But guess what happened? A few years later, a phone call came to the Galatian Christians and somebody sold them a trip to the Bahamas. And they didn't even know it. There were teachers, we're told, that showed up in these churches here. As it says in verse 7, evidently some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Trying to sell them a different story, a different way to get right with God and to keep right with God. Another way, another form of rescue, another kind of news, another way to God. First of all, it seems like they were saying Paul is a fraud. He's not a true apostle. An apostle is simply a messenger or an ambassador, an official representative on the behalf of a king. He's not a true apostle. He wasn't part of the original followers of Jesus. So he's literally second class. They're trying to undermine his authority. And this is why here, right from the start, Paul takes some time to try to defend his authority and his credentials. It says in verse 1, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ himself. Another thing it seems like they were saying is that Paul is a people pleaser. He's going to say anything to be popular. He wants you to like him. You know, accusations that would be true of most of us in certain areas of life. He's just trying to give you an easy way to God. Uh, He's not giving you the advanced stuff that's really hard and bigger hoops that you have to jump through. He's not telling you about that stuff, but we're going to give you that. And we're going to really show you the tough way to God that you've got to go through. And this is why in verse 10, Paul says, now am I trying to win the approval of men? Or am I trying to please men? Sort of echoing the accusations that were coming at him. He's a people pleaser, selling an easy gospel to the people. But this is what was happening. This is what these false teachers, if you were, were bringing to the Galatian church. 
It was a message that you get right with God and you stay right with God. Yes, through Jesus, through faith in him, but Jesus plus the things that you do for him. The way you live your life. See, they were saying, yes, Jesus is good, but he's not enough. The grace of God is good, but it's not enough. You also need to perform, they were saying, some Jewish rituals and customs. You need to be circumcised. You need to eat like a Jewish person. You basically need to become a Jew in order to become a Christian. You need to follow ceremonial laws. And before you know it, they were offering up a very long list of religious to-dos that Paul, for shorthand throughout this letter, calls the, quote, works of the law. In other words, the Galatians were starting to hear something different And it was that the gospel isn't news, like we said it is, but rather it's moral instruction. The gospel isn't just grace, but it's also a little bit of your performance as well. The way to get right with God and to stay right with God isn't just a rescue, it's actually a self-rescue as well. And as it happens, before you know it, what happened to the Galatians is what happens to us all the time. And it's that we start to fall into this Jesus plus me and my stuff mentality for life and salvation. Where your sense of Jesus really simply becomes, he becomes your theoretical savior, but all these other add-ons become your actual savior. The actual things that get you right with God and keep you right with God. Where you start to say, yeah, Jesus is my salvation, but actually, deep in my heart, I know that I'm a loser unless I fall in love and get married very soon. Or you might say, look, I know Jesus is my glory, but actually, unless I really make it in my workplace, I'll feel like a dummy and a failure. Or you say, well, okay, yeah, Jesus is my forgiveness, yes, but actually, I don't feel clean until I do something good to make up for the wrong that I did. Or we say, and maybe even with good intentions, we say Jesus is my ultimate acceptance, but actually, I truthfully would really die without the acceptance of other people. My parents, my roommates, my co-workers, the people in my life. Or you say Jesus is my confidence, but actually, I'm pretty sure God can't love me unless I try my best to live a good life and be a good person. Or Jesus is my peace. But deep down, I know that I'll never have true peace unless I finish my to-do list each day. Do you hear this in your life? Do you see it? The way it's so subtle, isn't it? The way in which you can hold on to a theoretical profession of Jesus as the source of salvation. And yet practically in all of life, the thing that's really saving you are the things you do. Or in other words, you. You, where the gospel is Jesus plus me, my performance, my achievements, my consistency, my sincerity. And here's the problem. And this is the heart of what Paul is getting at here. You no longer have any gospel at all. It's not good news because now it's all on you. How have you done lately? is the only question that now matters. 
Paul says, you're turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. And maybe you notice the urgency, the frustration in Paul's tone here. He even shows a little bit of anger. He says in verse 6, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ. Or in verse 9, as we've already said, so I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, this gospel of news, of grace, of rescue, let him be eternally condemned. And you have to understand, Paul is not speaking out of a personal vendetta. He's not simply being intolerant. He's not just bearing his fangs and being nasty. He's being loving. Because he knows that this is a matter of spiritual life and spiritual death. You see, because he's just seen the doctor bring in a false canister of chemo drugs. And he doesn't want you to die. It's love. Love that ignites his passion. Love that ignites his urgency. Love that ignites his frustration. Because he knows all you have to do is add the smallest thing to the gospel, the smallest piece of yourself, and you end up ruining the whole thing. I was reminded of something kind of like this recently when I was making a new set of keys for our front dead bolt lock. And if you've recently made a set of keys to your home or whatever door you might have, you realize how often it is that you get home after finally finding a place that makes new keys, because they seem harder to find than they probably should be, but you find one finally, and by the time you get home, you put it in the door lock, and it feels real good, it goes in nice and smooth, and you turn the thing, and it doesn't work. They, just, they never seem to work, right? And you know the guy did his best in the store, grinding away the key and brushing it off and blowing it off and handing it to you. And as far as your naked eye could see, it looked the same. Same key, you would never know the difference. has the same name, company, a title on it, and everything. But the way keys work is all it takes is a little tiny corner of extra metal to stick itself onto that key, and the whole thing doesn't work. You add in a little bit of your achievement, a little bit of your performance, a little bit more of you, and you stick it in the key of the salvation of God. And dear friends, it no longer works. The Apostle Paul is trying to give us the key to life, to salvation. And it's real simple that the gospel is this, Jesus plus nothing. The gospel, the good news of life and salvation and everything that God intended you and me to be in life before Him is Jesus plus nothing. Because by His own love and by God's own will and desire and purpose and plan, He, through Jesus, has already done everything needed to make us right with God and to keep us right with God. God, through Jesus, has done everything necessary to get us right with God and to keep us right 
with God all through Jesus. Everything, everything. He's already done it. You don't have to add to it. You don't need to contribute to it. And if you would just start to get this, Paul says, it starts to change every aspect of life. If you really start to believe that you are unconditionally accepted by God, don't you see, can't you imagine how that might start to change the way you operate in the workplace? We are no longer motivated by a need to feel accepted by everything and everyone. Don't you see the way in which it starts to change your relationships, first and foremost, with God? The way it changes how you feel about Him when you stop and try to pray. The things that come out of your mouth, the thoughts that you have in your head when you know that there's a God who hovers over you with nothing but love and nothing but joy and delight. Doesn't it change the conversation? Can't you imagine that? That it would. Or the way in which it starts to change the way you love and how much we're bombarded with self-centered motives, even in our best intentions, to love sacrificially. Either people in the community, people in our families, people on the blocks. And yet this story of grace changes the way we love, changes who we can love, even across racial boundaries and class boundaries and culture boundaries and gender boundaries, how it gives us a newfound freedom. Friends, do you ever feel stuck? Do you ever feel enslaved? As if you, you, you want to go somewhere, but you can't, or you want to do something, but you can't, or you want to desire something, but you feel like you can't. The gospel gives us freedom. It gives us power to change and grow. It gives us life. All these things are themes that Paul explores throughout the book of Galatians. Because he wants to show to them that it makes all the difference in the world, not just in the little religion category of life, but in all of life, to get the gospel right. The gospel which is Jesus plus nothing. You ready for this ride? Let's pray. We want to hear it. More importantly, we want to know it. And embrace it. And live it. So we're asking for the power of your spirit, God, not only today and throughout this week as we figure out ways to respond even to this passage, but throughout the next several weeks as we study this book, that you would give us wisdom and insight and power and life change. All to your glory. The one who rescued us. The one who loved us the one who gives us this gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.